because they need to understand there is a game and to the game, there is the rules. And we have to stick to the rules, especially when it comes to protecting, that at some point the game will end. Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Behavioral analysis and risk factors for children. Today, Sean West and myself are delighted to be speaking with Sandra Adiate. Uh, the founder of Apollo Synergetics, a consultant from Germany focusing on behavioral analytics training and consultancy in this area. Lovely uh, to, to focus on this topic, Sean. Um, why is it so important? Well, I'm looking forward to this one because I, I actually met Sandra at the ninth annual CP Technology Forum, which was, again, we mentioned it, you know, a great event. It was great to bump into her. It's, it was the first time she'd been to the event, but she was really interesting, actually. And I can totally see the value in the training that could be delivered on that front about, you know, finding the right people, putting them in the right places. Because when as soon as you, if you're working as a bodyguard for a family, things can get extremely emotive, right, When it, where it surrounds children. Um, and some of the, and I think something that we'll talk about within the podcast is, some of the family, high net worth families who maybe have been born into money potentially and they've grown up, maybe they don't have all the, haven't lived life like, say, you or I have. So maybe they don't have, they have a different view of the world to us. And we have different views on life. We have different skills. And we need to be able to, but with the family, obviously, you have to have thick skin, right? You know, when you work with high net worth individuals, there's a lot of time where when you're doing what is the correct thing to you is not the correct thing to them. And sometimes you can take a lot of income and it's been able to deal with that. And some of the tools that Sandra can give you can help you navigate them waters more easily. But surely there'll be operators out there saying, well, a gig is a gig is a gig. Um, I'm not there to be a nanny. Um, but, but surely there's a happy medium. Um, maybe the way you speak to the child or, or you know, ca can you command the child? I mean, th these are big questions. No, you're absolutely right. And no, you're not there to be a nanny, but you are there to provide a service to that family or that principal looking after the child. And if you can improve your skills in areas and whatever it may be, yes, situational awareness, the way you speak to the child, the way you speak to the parents, you know, you're there as a professional. You need to talk to them as a professional. You're not a friend. You're not a paid friend. You're there as a bodyguard delivering a service and any tools that you can take on board to improve that service we, we should be looking at i like it and yeah this this will be a great string to our bow in the magazine obviously we're bringing the pages of the magazine to life so hopefully we'll get some fantastic articles uh inside the magazine on this topic too um our, as uh you know new generations are investing in the next generation as as we heard at the event you know that there there is uh more focus than ever on the shape and content uh you know delivered to that sort of generation alpha as it were um anyway we don't need to get into the generations just yet let's look at this uh behavioral analysis risk factors for children with sandra adiate
And now, let's meet one of the contributors to The Circuit magazine. Behavioural analysis, risk factors for children. Sean West and myself are delighted to welcome Sandra Adiata, a consultant from Germany, founder and uh, owner of Apollo Synergetics, who is a trainer and consultant focusing on behavioural analytics. Uh, Sandra, lovely to have you on. How are you doing? No, oh, thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited. How are you guys doing? Yeah, it's very, doing very well, actually. But up north in the UK, it's absolutely freezing. So I'm not enjoying the weather so much. Well, let's focus then not on weather, but on children. But before we do that, what is the problem we're trying to solve? We are trying to solve the complex problem of understanding behaviors in context. So when we're uh, protectors, when we are um, doing security management around any kind of individual in a team, we um, are really trained, we get trained in um, analyzing all of relevant aspects in mitigating risks and avoiding threats. Um, and these can be tremendously influenced by all components that are, you know, um, in the situation involving the individuals as well as situational aspects, as, as we all know. And um, the behavioral aspects um, are a key component because we need, we should be ahead of the curve, identifying the threat or the risks um, you know, before they actually make things go sideways. Fantastic. Now, that makes sense. And it's great. Everyone uh, cares about their, their children, or at least uh, our principals do. Um, what about you? Well, obviously, we're delighted to have you on the podcast. But but where does your passion for this area come from? Mm. Mm, I have been working around people of different age groups for over 30 years of my life. So I have been teaching um, movement um, and all sorts of different kinds of things in, you know, age groups that are really, really relevant for this, uh, for understanding this complex matter and um, adding on the movement analysis and the psychology and the research in behavioral analyses kind of makes it a very complex analysis tool to understand these complex situations. So the passion in it is really that for me, being a former dance educator and mover, understanding movement on a muscular level or fascia level, if you will, is very uh, normal to me. So for me, anything that I see is movement and anything that I see and is movement to me is describable and then also trainable to anybody who is interested in um, enhancing their observational skills in relation to their profession. Fantastic. And that's an interesting combination, uh, dance and, uh, and, and, and and risk management. We'll get into that. We'll get into that. But what about the completely uninitiated protector? Perhaps they're a solo practitioner. Perhaps they are uh, simply, quote unquote, doing their job. Uh, what should they better understand about this, particularly in relation to children? Well, it all starts um, with asking yourself, do you like children? Um so a part of the whole thing would be the self, um, self, uh, you could say, exploration, I would call it. Uh, you know, being aware of your own biases when it comes to dealing with children in certain age groups, this is how it starts. And um, it is important that um, somebody understands at an early stage that the attitude of a child, the age of a child, 
the psychophysical aspects of the behavior of the child can influence tremendously how you can work with the principal or the child or a complex detail with a whole team. And that um, the risk factors rise. They just go up with you not managing parts and components of those things professionally. So you need to be aware of the implications of developments, uh, physical and cognitive. You need to be aware of the capabilities of children, how they can cope, how the bonding behavior is between the principal and the child. And um, there are several other components that are really uh, important to look at. But the most important thing is that you take time to take a moment and really evaluate those in relation to yourself. Really interesting, actually, Sandra. I mean, in my background in the security industry, I've worked with children of all ages and exactly what you said, the age developmental stage that they're at can bring so many different factors. I mean, you've got if you've got a really young children, you've got, you know, the tantrums and the, everything that comes. But that also it can throw the principal off his his day because it puts him in a frantic it's peace of mind. Um, but then you've got the teenage and all of the things that come with that when you're looking after a young teenage girl and they want to go out and they're meeting boys and, you know, they want to carry on, do things that maybe their parents wouldn't approve of. And you as a bodyguard stuck in the middle of that, you, you're kind of on that knife edge, right, of how do I deal with this situation? And definitely having some training in this sort of situational awareness, behavioural analysis mm. will give you some more tools in, in dealing with these situations, right? Exactly. And also... Um... Another component, which I'm sure is already a, a vital part of the training of um, protectors as well, is the, the legal implications that come with failing. So, you know, security management around children smack, um, it's, it says children in there, but I'm including the teenagers, meaning that um, if, you know, one of those girls or boys falls in love with you, you know, and but you still need to manage, you know, how, how the detail goes, you need to be aware of the implications if you fail to communicate to the team, uh, you know, correctly. And so it's also about, you know, securing yourself, if you will, in a way, to be aware of how, how, uh, how concrete uh, do you need to... Uh, guide and lead certain aspects of communication in order to be clear with the implications for everyone involved. And it might even be, I cannot be the one doing this. We have to rotate the team or guess what? You know, I'm out all, all the way, uh, I, unfortunately. I have huge experience of this as well, where definitely where the family, you know, the child gets attached to one of the bodyguards and they really, you know, I want Sean, I want Sean every you know, every day I want him to do the school and whatever it may be. And it becomes a problem when, you know, the, the guy that they're attached to and then, you know, on the following Wednesday, John has to come in to, to rotate with this guy, right? Mm -hmm. And the family's like, oh, no, you can't leave because Susie wants you. Yes. And it causes these things, it causes rifts in the team because almost team members can feel, you know, I'm not wanted, they worry for their job. Mm -hmm. But also it puts pressure on the guy who is, favoured and you know it's, it's it's great to be liked however you know the impact over a long period of time it's you know things like christmases and family holidays it's all of a sudden you're wanted for them as well so you're not getting that time off and i think it's a bit of a, it's it's a bit of education to the family that you know people need to be rotated to keep fresh alert you know on top of their game but also it's it's 
having good professional boundaries as a protector as well, because some people, maybe if they're new to the industry and they say, oh, I'm getting really liked here by this child and it's going to get me in with the family, they kind of run with that. And I think the one thing you can never forget, you are always a staff member, right? You, you are not family. And I've seen so many people get caught up in that way. They become, they think I'm the favourite, but it will always come back. You know, blood is thicker than water. The, it, it might just be a child is, I don't know, chasing a ball. She tripped over on the curb, hits her head, and all of a sudden you're no longer the favourite and you're out of the job. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, if you've got the professional boundaries and it's, you are rotating, you are alert, you are, you know, it just keeps everything right. It's black and white. You're there to provide a service. Yes, of course, you, you can become fond of the child, fond of the family, but you, they're not paying you to be a friend. They're paying you to deliver a, a service and provide a job. And another thing is important um, that just adds on and links in very nicely to what you just said is the implications of culture. So if, you know, you have um, a family um, that is um, you know, from a completely different continent altogether and they're running their family business, let me call it like that, in a certain way and there's certain hierarchy going on, you might not have a saying in a lot of things and the feel of not having a say might be very different to what you're used to. <laughs> so you are basically really treated like a servant. Yeah? Yeah. And um, although you might see another approach, for example, to the child might be better, uh, or specifically when it comes to managing, you know, how to get from A to B, what to have in the rucksack in case of, you know, something goes sideways, what we need to pack, what we need to have on the details and things like that. You know, it might just really cause friction, just like you described, uh, in between the the, the client, uh, the principal, the, the whole family system, uh, in between, and it's, it's unfortunate, but the groups of females and males. <laughs> so it just goes, it gets more complicated from there. Yeah, I mean, the culture is, is a massive thing. And I think with any family you're going to work with, you need to spend a bit of time, right, and mm -hmm. learn a bit about that culture because you'll be making decisions based on, I guess, how you live your life, how you brought your children up and what's right for you may not be right for that principal and their family. I mean, I've, I've seen, you know, where the principals are so, it's almost an unnatural behaviour surrounding their children where they're going into a secure school that has security and gated grounds. And it's like, right, we want the bodyguard to go in there and sit outside the class and sit, you know, and trying to have these conversations with the family and say, look, if the school thinks your child isn't at that much threat, they're just not going to allow your child into the school. You know, they've got, done their own risk assessments. They've got their own security. And if you start freaking that school out, you know, your daughter's, your, daughter, your son or your daughter's going to stand out as well. Who's this strange guy standing outside all of the time when she's in school? So it's, it's having a bit of, you need to be there to sanity check, you know, these, you know, principles and, family members as well. And sometimes it's, it's, it's really tough, right? Because it, it's work for you. You don't, you don't lose your job. You don't, but it's, it's, it's having them professional boundaries. They're paying you for a service, mm -hmm. not a friendship. And sometimes you have, us being aware of their culture, I think also there needs to be a bit of, they need, if they're in our country, they're in our school system, but there needs to be a bit awareness of, I, I guess the British culture as well. Um, you know, it, it may be fine in, Another country where you have got the bodyguards sitting outside the classroom all of the time, um, where it's a bit different here, and it might ring some alarm bells that maybe they don't want, they don't want rising. But yeah, no, it's it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Sure.
Two more points need to be mentioned, which are also really key elements that need to be addressed. One is um, some sort of uh, former physical or psychological trauma. So either, you know, living somewhere among this family or even the child or even a troubled mind of the client. So this is why I also, uh, you know, offer consultation because I'm a therapist. So I'm, I'm really also concerned about identifying the behavioral aspects or behavioral components of identifying personalities that might have a troubled mind. So um, because this can just um, escalate situations in such a way that, that they're almost uncontrollable. And for you, it happens, you know, the observer, and it just happens so fast, you know, even, I mean, the one that you're protecting is going crazy. That's a whole different level. You expect some, somebody from the outside probably attacking your client, but not the other way around, yeah? Well, it's funny you should say that, you know, and we're talking about having experience of these things. And one thing I've found, and I don't know what your experience or how you found it, Sandra, but when you've been born into the wealth, you you, you haven't created the wealth. You've been born into this wealth. So you, you've you've grown up as a child. You've you know, potentially you've never been told no. You've had everything you ever wanted, and then as soon as you go to a school and you start your teacher saying no, and all of a sudden there's the tantrums. You get upset. You come back, tell your parents, "I don't like this teacher. Or I don't like this school," and then you have almost you can have the unnatural behavior the okay right we're going to change the school and i've seen that where they've moved them to another school and then they went to another school and this almost you know this in my mind this is no good for the child because they can't settle they've got no roots and this behavior goes into life so when they get to teenagers and they get to you know into their late teens 20s and i've worked with people who are in their 30s but they're almost still like a teenager because they haven't learned lessons that normal people would learn whilst they're growing up because they've never been told no. They've had cotton wool wrapped around them all their lives. And exactly what you've just said, you can have, I've had cases where we're protecting the principle from outside factors. And then all of a sudden it's, you're protecting the principle from them, themselves, you know, just self, self erupting and getting themselves into so much trouble. And it's because they haven't learned the skills how to not, not yeah, communicate maybe. Um just interacting with people. They don't have them mm -hmm. skills. They're very well educated, but lack some, I don't know, common sense maybe sometimes. It is resilience and coping strategies because coping you know strategies. Yes, exactly. That's the, one. that's the one. Um, you know, this is the and, and this is the the other point that I wanted to mention. You know, this after pandemic phase and this, this you know, economic kind of turmoil and the, 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 the let's say the situation that the world is in at this very moment, you know, you know, it brings a certain certain sensitivities around how we sense and feel our security around us. You know, if we are happy with how it feels or not, you know, and obviously it's it's a little bit challenging at the moment. And for the people that grew up in uh, peace, for them, <laughs> uh, they're somehow losing it, although nothing happened yet here, maybe where we are, you know, we see, uh, you know, things happening in other parts of the world, but it affects us because we are flooded with the images and the and the pictures. Now, the question is, how do you cope on a daily basis with the challenges that you have? Well, if you're not challenged, guess what? You're not going to learn how to cope. Yeah. And then, of course, you, you, you don't want to challenge a child 
Uh, and this really depends on the age group and it depends on how we bond with our children and it depends on what kind of approach and culture I have. You know, this is a whole complex discussion right here. But if this friction and the challenge and the support is not put into the system in order to help the child develop their own coping strategies um, and also fail because we need to fail in order to learn, unfortunately, <laughs> But the problem is, um, okay, to finish that sentence, if we don't do that, the, the challenge is that, you know, they don't learn these kind of skills. They don't have these kind of skills. And um, I just recently commented on a post um, showing uh, a tried abduction at the entrance of this shopping um, shopping mall or something. And you can see from the, the way the the guy was trying to uh, pick up the child, the mother intervened and she picked up the child. You can see that this reaction in the body is like a wet cat so that the reaction of the child is complete giving in into the safe safe uh, safeguarding of the mother the mother is you know pulling this child away and nothing happened thank god but i'm just saying in different age groups the reactions of the body i'm talking about the body and then of the mind and then of the child or the teen will be completely different because let's go jump to the teen it might just happen that in the teenage age, I'm not moving. You can shout as much as you want. But just because I like saying no now, you know, and I'm my own personality, I'm not moving just to make your blood pressure go up. So um, this is something that is really, really problematic because it takes a very direct and open communication in between all parties involved or professional teammates that just know how to run this show they just kind of need to know how to work around those things because the parents might not want to challenge the child the parents don't want this kind of friction so you as the professionals need to know how to set up the team how to talk to all involved how to bring those risks to the awareness of the client in order to to do what you are paid for to uh, secure the client to you know protect yeah it, it, it's it's really interesting actually in what you said there picking the right people for the right job i think is very important um you know i've worked with great guys who don't have kids but they've been fantastic with the families they've worked for because they've had the right temperament um but yeah putting the right person the, the wrong person in the job with kids can be can be completely futile and I think what we need a lot of the time is is also what you said there sometimes the parents don't want to be the one to discipline the children and that's fine and if that's the case what they have to give is the support to the bodyguards the nannies whoever it may be so when they're telling their daughter no you can't cross the road at this time or whatever it may be you, you can't be drinking your 13 year old or whatever it might be they require the support from them parents to be able to make them decisions. But what I find in a lot of security teams, and it's, again, diff difficult situations people get put in. When you're the one who's now on duty and you're seeing the child doing whatever they're doing, and I've seen people just turn their back, you know, mm -hmm. and they're, oh, I don't want to be the one to raise it because it's going to put the spotlight on me. Mm -hmm. And when that is the case, you are not doing your job. Mm -hmm. You have to highlight these behaviours. And yes, it puts you in a, difficult situation but that is what you appeared to be there for right you're there for the care of the children on behalf of that principal um 
So you have to make these difficult decisions, and that's why you know you get paid good money as a bodyguard. You have to be, be able to step up when the time requires. But but Sean, and maybe this is just you know devil's advocate or outside person looking in. Surely, many many listeners will say, "Yeah, super communication skills with children would be amazing," but but how? And 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 how do I speak to a toddler? You know, how do I speak to a teenager? What do I have to use baby language suddenly? How's that going to look professionally? And I know, um, you know, Sandra, you you have many many different hats, and um, even even the word synergetics within your your company speaks yeah. to win win. Um, is this more about forming that win-win relationship? But then how do you avoid being the buddy guard? Like, you know, like I, my, my new buddy, he's five years old. Like, how does that work? Hmm. It's a very good question. Well, uh, the, the parts that you've mentioned are really relevant because, again, you need to know that a toddler has a different um, number of words available as compared to a 13 year old. So, you know, the numbers are somewhere between thousands and 10 and hundred thousands at the age of 17 or 18. So this is really relevant what you're just mentioning. And um, um, it is true that in certain situations uh, when children of certain ages are involved, I don't talk to the child at all. I have to talk to the nanny or I have to talk to the mother or the principal involved, which means Again, this is trainable. I tell you once, you know, you never make a mistake again. So these kind of things that you're mentioning is really something that you would learn on the course. You would then know when you leave the course, which um, how you identify where the child is in the de developmental stage and what might be the best approach in order to get your um, the task or whatever you need to communicate across, um, whether you have to communicate to the child direct it might be you have to do a command, no questions. We don't asking. We're not asking questions. We're giving. We're giving. You know, uh, information, or we're giving tasks, or we're giving commands. Because um, otherwise, if I come into an argument or a conversation, then you know the time is just running and we haven't moved. So it really depends on the situation, it depends on the task, and it is trainable. And how? Well, um, I would like to avoid the phase of trial and error by teaching you how to identify the behaviors that are relevant and how to approach the certain um, elements of tasks that you need to address at certain age groups. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's a, a really good question, Pelleman. Uh, it's, it's what you said, you know, how do you avoid becoming, I don't know, a buddy god, you know, something like that. I've seen that with, with the drivers as well, where the child loves driver A and I want only want him to drive me and they hold on and it is it's all about that you know that professional barrier that you've got to put in between between yourself of course you can speak like a child and you can build rapport we have to do that but th there is also the line that you know please don't cross that line I'm yet to do a job for you and it you know it, and there is time where you've got to speak to the parents and but there's also that line where Maybe the parents or some of the people, as we just spoke about earlier, could be ones that that have been born into the world as well. So they haven't had, they haven't had them coping strategies, and they haven't had learned life mm. like maybe you or I have. And because they haven't coped with things themselves, when they see their son or their daughter getting upset, it's all when their arms around it, it becomes almost an erratic behavior. And mm -hmm. when you're doing something that's, like I said, 
right for you and you think you know it's right for the child, it's not always right for that particular family and principal. And, you know, you, I've seen guys losing jobs for doing absolutely the right thing. Child's in danger. They've informed the parents. But because the child was crying, it's right. Get rid of him. She no longer likes him. And it's, you know, it's, it's a sad, it's a sad situation when that happens. But unfortunately, unfortunately it's the world we live in and it's the profession we've chosen. And, but yeah, if you can get some more training in these sort of elements and how to limit your exposure, mm-hmm. have some more tools in the box. Mm-hmm. I don't see any reason why anyone wouldn't take that up. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that links nicely into what you ch- uh, said just said is that organizing behaviors, understanding behaviors, leading and professional management of teams also involves knowing the skill set of your other team members. So if I get into the situation, I'm imagining this could happen. The child gets really attached to me, but we need to move now. We need to go. Something's happening, whatever. It might just be that one look that you give to your colleague or the nanny or the principal, whoever is there in the situation that knows when you give this look mm-hmm. or when you do do the certain sign code that you have decided on, then, you know, now, you know, the game is over. And this is something that is, I, I, I you know, by teaching so many individuals over so many decades, this is something that is always the challenge an understandable challenge in between the com- uh, communication between the trainer, the protector, the the the, the teacher, the, the whatever you want to call it, and the parent, because they need to understand there is a game, and to the game there is the rules, and we have to stick to the rules, especially when it comes to protecting. That at some point the game will end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is something that nobody, I guess nobody, even including me, you know, if, if somebody tells me, ah, oh, yeah, you cannot do this today, of course, I'll be upset if I really like doing it. But <laughs> when it comes to protection, this is where the story ends. And this is just something that then again is a miscommunication in between the team members or towards the client, which then needs to be addressed uh, in a different way. So, so Sandra, how then do you, you know, reconcile that with actually communicating a threat so uh sean mentioned before you know bodyguard uh outside the classroom and you know if if the threat's really that real then there's 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 big things going on but i mean imagine yeah the threat is that real someone is likely to waltz into a school and nick you know steal your kid how do you how do you communicate that without frightening them too much well, you're talking to a German uh, emancipated woman, which is going to answer you. You have to communicate it directly. Unfortunately, there is just a level of threat where we have to communicate directly and where we have to say, okay, listen, in order to keep this space safe and to keep this child uh, safe, the best thing would be to do this. Now, of course, we're talking about an uh, educational environment, so probably you cannot put armed guards in the front yeah. So then it needs to be broken down to the level of uh, protection that can be used under the circumstances of the certain space that we're talking about. But other than that, you have to communicate it directly to the people that are responsible for, um, you know, uh, being the ones uh, in charge uh, in the space. And I mean, 
there's one thing, it's one thing to have a person sitting in front of a classroom wearing a suit and a headset and, you know, all of that. But it might also be, um, you know, somebody looking like a janitor. So I'm not saying pull out all your costumes, but I'm saying if we have a certain situation, again, we need to sit together and communicate how do we make this happen in this certain space. And I'm sure a lot of professionals that are out there are going to say, listen, I'm not changing clothes just because and I would even understand that. But again, we're talking uh, about potential harm or scars or trauma for a child that also needs to cope with having people, you know, paying attention to them all the time. So it is tricky. I'm not saying it's easy, but again, this is why it needs discussion. This is why it needs consultation, thought, and then the question, what is manageable? What is feasible? Mm -hmm. I think think you're totally right. Anything where the surrounding a threat to the children, it's going to be direct to the parents, the principal, and say, look, this is what we're aware of. They'll be aware of things through their channels. And you have a direct conversation between you. You're there as the professional. You're giving them advice and tools and options. Ultimately, it's going to come down to them what they want to do. Maybe they, you've got a great principal and they, they take everything on board and they really value your opinion and they go with what you're saying. Or you might have someone who's maybe erratic. It's their child, you know, and they go way beyond what is, I don't know, what's the word, non-erratic, um, plausible, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I want all my cars for my children outside the school, this X, Y, and Z. You know, and it ultimately you'll come down to the children, but that direct communication between the security professional who's delivering it, educating them. And it, it just depends on what stage of development they're in as well. The parents, like we said, you know, if they're open to suggestions and information, they'll make some, you know, some good decisions. But maybe they don't, and they are the boss and they are telling you what you have to do. And then it's down to you to work with what you've got, right? To provide that safe environment. Um, you're there to give the tools, whether they choose to take them or not, is is down to them. And you can you can only work with what you've got. But are you are you also giving those tools to the butler, to the nanny? And then when 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 does that become like a hang on uh, overreach? Like you know, uh, you you're adding a lot of value. You know, training the whole team. But but like, where, where does that stop? I don't think it does stop. I think when if there's a child at threat for a particular family, everyone surrounding that family, and it would be butlers, drivers, everybody would have had some form of brief training, whatever it may be, in situational situational awareness when they're coming to the property, when they're leaving the property, um, anything surrounding the family, anything that looks out of place, they would have been spoken to and told, this needs to be fed up the chain immediately. So there will be, you know, they're not going to go be taken away and doing bodyguard course or whatever it may be, but there will be some form of briefing with the relevant staff members for sure if there's a, you know, a real threat to that family. And also the question is, and this then links to personality, the question is, are you a type of person that wants to know or you'd rather not know? Like you want somebody else to take care of the problem. 
So <laughs> when it comes then to team members, I mean, if you are, have been signed up for a detail to be the protector, it's very clear. You got to know in order to work around it. But, you know, the nanny is not probably very happy to know that there is something going on or that the servants in the house or other people, you know, on the property, they might be like, oh, my God, what's going on now? You know, I want to go home now. I want to leave. I want to escape as soon as I can. So it it is really also a question of mindset, if you will, or um, or personality. <laughs> the question do you want to know in order to be ahead of the curve? And this is something that I would choose. I'm talking just about myself right now. I would always prefer to be ahead of the curve. Um, it, it might really lead to probably thinking in too much detail or thinking from a lot of different perspectives. But in my understanding, this is what makes it rich and what also gives the team uh a better um, and versatile view on a complex issue that we then can decide together on. So this is why this approach is still uh, important, I think. Yeah, I think it goes back to the start. And I know we were talking about security operatives at the start and getting the right people for the right position. But I think that carries across the board. If you're working in a family environment, one of the things I have learned, you have to have really thick skin because you know there is going to be times when you're getting shouted at, Maybe even things thrown at you, you know, I've, I've seen it happen. It's, you, you've got to have thick skin and you be able to, you have to take things on the chin. And I think one of the things that I've always tried to be, you know, when I've employed guys who've worked with families is you, you've got to be a really strong line manager. So if the family really loves John or they really love whoever, you, you have to try and educate them. Look, you can't have John 24, seven days a week. If you keep John, you know, this amount of time, you're not going to have John for much longer because he has a family that he has to go back to. He has to have his time on holiday, whatever it is. And I see my chief role really <laughs> when working with some of these families. It's almost as, excuse the language, a shit deflector that you have to go there and literally, because the guys are in such a position where sometimes they can't speak out. They've got the relationship with the child. They can't with the family and sometimes it's got to be someone above the umbrella just going in there and saying look trying to give some sanity to the family and say look you can't have this guy for this he's away he's you know he just lost his mother or his father he has to go it, it, life happens around you know it's it's not just their life that's going on here everyone life is just churning all the time and sometimes you need someone to step in when the person on the ground doesn't have the tools to kind of withdraw from that situation maybe Sometimes they need to be removed by the line manager who steps in and says, look, you're changing out. They're doing this trip because we need to get the other guys in there as well. It's it's no good for the family. It's unhealthy to just be stuck with you know, these individuals because then if you're sick, ill, whatever it may be, where, where's the resilient, where's the, you know, that, that, there's no margin for change, right? But but can I, can I then relate that just because obviously I'm Mr plain vanilla mr you know un uninitiated right to the protector who's not gone through this type of training they might think oh dear now i have to go do a master's in behavioral analytics and you know and that and and that that's a lot of work but what does the training look like like what what, what would a, a a syllabus even look like mm -hmm. so if we're looking at behavioral analysis in general it would um in my case, in my training program, involve the observation of behaviors in context, which means 
really um, learning how to adapt your observational skills when being in certain situation, meaning uh, in a conversation, um, in a setting, uh, on a scene, entering a premises. Um, it really is about learning how to move the eyes on a body in order to make sense of a situation. Um, then it is really also related to self-reflection, being aware of your own biases, how they sidetrack you, how they kind of influence what you see and what you think. And then um, it really becomes about the question, where do you think of applying it? Do you need really fast eyes like in risk assessment? We need to be able to spot. We need to be able to scan. We need to be able to get a general sense, uh, like if you will, a feeling uh, of the situation. Or is it really just, and forgive me for saying just, looking at a screen at a CCTV, yeah, which I'm not saying is easy. I'm just saying it depends on the task, what kind of skill set you might want to enhance. So it really depends on from what background you come and where you want to apply it. But the general line is understanding behaviors in context looking at behaviors in terms of movement, understanding verbal and nonverbal communication, inter understanding intercultural aspects and your own reflection and biases uh, that come and influence uh, the communication process. And when it comes to the child, um, the, to, to, uh, when it comes to the uh, security management around children, um, the approach is different. It is really going from understanding the developmental stages, the psychophysical developmental stages, understanding bonding behavior and stress management, coping strategies of all involved, mm -hmm. basics of leadership, and basics of intercultural communication, and how all of that is influencing risks while on the task. So the focus of this training is not so much reading the behaviors, it is using the reading of behaviors in order to mitigate risks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you, you can do a training course and you're never going to master everything, right? It's giving you tools. And I think one of the great things I learned, it was actually when I kind of stepped away from working as a bodyguard, I've done some NLP training. And one great thing I learned, you know, the map is not the territory, they say is one of the rules where... And what that means is everyone sees something in a different way. You know, I don't know how many messages a, a second our body gets, you know, 20,000 messages when you walk into it. You look in the cupboard for, a, I don't know, a can of beans. And you're like, I can't find this can of beans. And then someone else just goes in and just goes, and they'll pick it straight out because you're kind of filtering lots of things out. And when you're dealing with families and different people, they will see a situation completely different to how you see it. And sometimes you just got to pull yourself out you almost give yourself a bird's eye view and think, right, let's look at this rationally. You know, and I think it's just even that, just learning that as a skill is going to give you tools to go, you know, not just be totally emotionally charged when something's happening and firing back. Just pulling yourself out of the situation and just look, looking at it rationally, taking a pause, taking that, we call it the condor moment. And um, it will give you a completely different view for sure. That's very, very correct. And also training observational skills in general, just training observational skills, movement analysis, analysis of behavior needs a base of understanding, for example, my own breath pattern. Or it needs an understanding of, am I even concentrated today? <laughs> so this is the basic uh, that, you know, this is where it starts from being aware of my own limitations 
uh, of the, the the biases, like I mentioned earlier, and also um, understanding a complex situation with a simple question of what does match and what does not match here. So almost like, you know, having a map on top of a map and thinking, okay, something is just, something is off, <laughs> something is off. And um, and it really depends on the level of threat. It really depends on how much time I have to observe. Just like I said, you know, uh, the typical thing is opening a door, entering a space, guiding somebody in, you know, going from A to B. And it's just like almost cutting through the space without uh, any time to observe much. But again, you know, spotting in this kind of um, environment is possible. And this is what your eyes ha is trained for. This is what has been put in our system, you know, um, thousands of years ago. So it works. But you need to be able to know how to rely on those skills and how to probably enhance them when you are doing specific details in a specific environment. Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Well, I like that. And I think that's practical for the protector I'm, I'm always on the practical side like that yes but now what <laughs> type of side um so uh where 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 next can we find you you very kindly uh, came uh to london to the ninth annual uh cptf which was great and a, a lot of our listeners got a chance to, to to meet you myself included um but but where next can we find you yes thank you very much and thank you again the conference was excellent so i really enjoyed it um and I hope I'll be there next time again. So yes, the next thing that's coming up is on the 25th of February. So um, from 6 to 7 p.m. Central European time, I'm going to do an introduction to the security management of children training. It's going to be online. You can find all the information on LinkedIn. And this is really the, the first introduction to the industry, if you will. Anybody who's interested in that and thinks this might be you know, worthwhile their time are very uh, welcome to, to join me there. And there are two more things coming up. One is um, I'm doing a joint uh, venture, if you will, together with Michael Wagg. We're doing a series called Perspectives. And this is going to be the first one is going to be on the 29th of February from 8 to 9 p.m. And it's going to be looking at um, incidents that are currently interesting, uh, either for the industry or for the security management arena. And we're going to be discussing that those with experts uh, from the field. And uh, the last thing that is interesting probably is that I'm joining the uh, Aspida 77 Women in Protection, and I'm going to be also an, in doing an introduction for them for the security management around children. So these three things are coming up, and I'm very excited to, to do them uh, online or even in person uh, when there's time and when I can. Fantastic. And I think I think even I've seen some Aspida uh, announcements by Monica. Uh, exactly. Coming, coming up. So that's... So that's great fun. Um, fantastic. Okay, well, this is a tour de force, but with a practical application around behavioral analysis and risk factors for children. Uh, Sean West and myself, we have been delighted to speak with Sandra Adriate. And this has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. Well, thank you very much, Sandra. And what a great topic, behavioral analysis, risk factors for children. Uh, Sean, what did you make of today's session? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It actually took me back a number of times to you know situations that I've dealt with, working with different families. 
um, situations I'm aware just through working in the industry of other guys or girls that have been working in, you know, an emotive family environment. And it just, I mean, sometimes you forget about these things that have happened over the years, but when you talk back through them, there's so many, so many skills that you learn that, that sometimes I feel like you can't be taught. You've got to live them, but, you know, speaking to Sandra, maybe these can be taught because them skills, you kind of learn on the job, right? And if you can learn them and they're taught to you, they better prepare you for, for when situations happen. So, no, it was, it was really interesting. I enjoyed it. I hope you came up with some great relevant points surrounding families, how to talk with children, how to you know, have them professional barriers. Um, no, I really enjoyed it. I thought there was a lot to take away from that, especially if you're a newcomer and you're working in a family environment. Yeah, because at, uh, at least as a newcomer, you know, you should say, do I know how to do this? Um, and, and you know, honestly, if I if I think about it, I don't know the nuanced communication that I would use to speak to a, a six year old versus a nine year old. I I kind of think I talk to them the same way, but then maybe that's that's not the best thing, especially if I need them to understand risk and. And then, and you know, I, I, I know Sandra said just, just tell it like it is. Maybe you know, be, be very open and honest. But, I, but I still think that there is a distinct way of explaining high threat risk to, you know, a child. Uh, what, what do you think, Sean? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a difficult one, right? I think, in my mind, you know, if, if there's threats surrounding the children, I'm talking to the parents. Unless you know, it's in that moment when you're grabbing the kid and saying, right, you follow me. You're getting in the car. Like, other than that, we're talking to the parents and yeah, there's a lot of training around that as well. You've seen many, I don't know, security managers, team leaders who can get dropped into a position that maybe don't have the right tools for that job. You know, there's many people who are great bodyguards or great, great soldiers but as soon as they become a team leader or a, you know, an NCO in the army, it, maybe they don't have them same skills. They can sink. Where they, You can also have the opposite flip side where people are a great leader, but maybe they, they didn't have the correct skills to be a bodyguard, right? And I think it's, it is. It's putting them right people in the right place that can navigate, who have the communication skills to speak with people up and down the levels, you know, parent level, child level, you know, and you build it. It's the same as working in an organisation. You're know, speaking to the janitor compared to the CEO. You know, if if you're somebody who has the skill set who can talk up and down that line, you're going to be very well received. And and I think that also links into other sessions we've had on the podcast where we talked about the dangers of the buddy guard. Because um, because I can imagine getting buy-in of a five-year-old could involve becoming their buddy. What what do you think? Yeah, no, it, it definitely can. And it's an easy situation to, to be pulled into, right? And I think it's especially if you're new to the industry, it's something that you can easily fall foul of where it's, you know, everyone likes to be liked. And if that child takes a, I want to be with Pelham, you're going to want to kind of just go with that relationship because you, you're just starting out in the industry and you think, yeah, this is cementing my role. But really, you know, it can be, it can be a real double-edged sword and you, you definitely need to keep, keep them professional barriers, which we spoke about because you'll find yourself, you know, 
you can be sucked in and you're great at first, but once you start losing every Christmas, every summer holiday, every, you know, and when everyone else is getting their time off and you're pulled straight back in, it can wear a bit thin. The tolerance gets less the longer you're in the industry. And I guess if you have them barriers set out from the start, you've got a lot more longevity. And, and, and maybe your ability to say no diminishes because you're the buddy. <laughs> I don't know. Well, this is this is certainly something worth investigating and maybe even inquiring how much do I know? Maybe, maybe it's a good time to check in. Um which which I think I think I think is always is 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 always good. And it was great to see Sandra at the ninth annual CP Tech Forum. And I know as she's come with many recommendations from uh, several people in the industry. So thank you. You you know who you are out there. Um what else have we got coming up? Because uh, you know, obviously the magazine is underway and the podcast is underway. What's uh, what what's happening in the world of the circuit magazine, Sean? Yeah, we've got the next issue, which should be ready to drop right about now. I think by the time you listen to this, this should be out. Um, another great issue and you know, some great articles in there. I think I've even got an article in there myself this month, which is um, <laughs> which is great. Being involved, sometimes it's, it's, it's difficult when you're busy writing stuff. Um, put a lot of content posts out, I guess, but getting back into the habit of writing articles, um, it's a little bit more difficult on your time. It takes a little bit more thought. But, yes, yeah, so we've got that issue coming out. And, yeah, I think we've got some more good podcast guests lined up, which will be fantastic. It'll be good to get them out. And, yeah, I think onwards and upwards, always. Absolutely. And, and and you know, you mentioned that you you found the time to write an article. Of course, we're looking for contribution um, for people to write an article. And, and, and I think it's important to have that... Um, mixture the podcast format the written word format because people consume uh information in different ways at different times um and and i think it's important to to realize that if, if we speak to the community in the manner in which they've expected to be spoken to <laughs> you know that's 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 good if i if i reflect all the way back to the very first circuit magazine podcast we sort of said well why are we doing it and uh you know so why not but also um because it's it's a ready channel that people want to uh, to 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 be aware of, and um, also uh, in that vein, I know James Bohr, a frequent contributor to the magazine, um, is coming out very very soon, if not already, with a book collecting his publications on cybersecurity, um, which I think is called the Cyber Circuit, um, and and that's from his contributions to our magazine. Um, um, and, uh, and and he's got that coming out or it may already have come out um, five years of articles on dozens of cybersecurity topics written for the casual and curious reader originally published in the circuit magazine there we go so we're making progress we're making waves aren't we Sean yeah no absolutely and he's provided quite a few articles now for the magazine and he's been a guest so I know it's great to see him moving forward in his career as well and reverting back to us that's fantastic yeah, fantastic. Well, thanks very much for packaging that up in a wonderful format. And obviously, there will be an ebook. I know I talked about different formats people like to, uh, you know, have written word and and uh, you know, listening because because that could be you, the protector on the move, standing in a hallway. Uh, you know, you might be boarding a plane, downloading a bunch of podcasts before you don't get reception or something. Um, 
so so there's, there's everything to play for and we're, we're very conscious that people consume content in different ways um that being said we love hearing from you if you think oh no we get uh feedback from everybody all the time i don't need to give them feedback please do because we do appreciate it and it can make a difference to the direction of the podcast absolutely um, yeah well Sandra Adiata, thank you very much for coming on and talking about behavioral analysis and risk factors for children. I think this is really key. More, more investment will be spent by ultra high net worth uh, individuals, uh, you know, in this area. So let's get on that uh, that steam train. Uh, from Sean West and myself, this has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.